audio. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me is Dr. Kyle Lemley, who is a pediatric critical care specialist and a pediatrician at Monument Health, the Rapid City Hospital here. Thank you for joining me again, doctor. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Uh, we are heading into that time of year, especially around here. We all start to worry about it a little bit because we have our 90 days of warm weather when we all get to go outside. And then we have the rest of the year where we're indoors around everybody that's not washing their hands and covering their mouths when they get sick, right? Um, so we're heading into what uh, you as a, as a pediatrician refer to as the triple pandemic, which is coming up. Uh, is this because of COVID, obviously, was, was before COVID a thing? Was it just a double pandemic with RSV and the flu in children? Um, before COVID, when <laughs> all of the kids were actually out and getting exposed to everything. Right. We didn't, we had a spike every year of, you know, obviously kids getting RSV and kids getting the flu and everything. But, um, and the numbers varied every year and the severity varied, but um, it wasn't quite as large of a number yeah. because kids were exposed to it every year. So the biggest thing last year that made it such a big triple dimmit kind of a thing was for the past since 2020 kids had been masking at mm -hmm. home they weren't uh, out at school and getting exposed and even when they could go the parents were scared to get their kids exposed to covid because you know the vaccine hadn't been out yeah. yet and then obviously we don't want to get into uh who wants to vaccine and right who doesn't want a vaccine and all of, uh, and all of those kinds of things but for, you know, two years, you had all of these kids that hadn't been exposed essentially to RSV and flu. And so then last year was kind of the first year of no masking, everyone all back in school, back in daycares, parents back at work. And so we just saw an outrageous number of RSV, flu, um, some COVID, and actually other viruses popping up that all can cause this uh, phenomenon called bronchiolitis. Uh, uh, really quick, before we hit that specific topic that we're going to talk about, uh, we're all familiar with COVID. Uh, we're all pretty familiar with flu. I know RSV, unless you have children, really, I don't think you really know what kind of disease that is. Could you just talk about that really quick? Sure. And I think RSV gets blamed for all of the bronchiolitis, and it's oh, really, really just one of the viruses that can cause it. So it is a virus. It is okay. It is just a virus. Respiratory syncytial virus is what it's called. Um, historically, it can uh, cause uh, really young children, especially premature infants, um, and especially infants with, um, with uh, cardiac disease. Um, really significant issues um, in their lungs, and they can get really sick and die from it. But that's just the same as adenovirus, rhinovirus, enterovirus, all kinds of things that cause the common flu can, or uh, the common cold can cause bronchiolitis and um, present in a very similar way. RSV is just better known um, amongst the general population. Mm -hmm. And so everyone kind of throws that term out there. 
but it's just another virus that can cause bronchiolitis. So before we get too far into that, because I know some people are, well, I, I would probably be listening to this thing. He's, well, he's pronouncing bronchitis wrong. No, it's they're two distinct things. Two distinct things. Bronchiolitis and bronchitis. So uh, can you separate those two really quick as well? Sure. Um, bronchitis is more of an adult uh, diagnosis okay. or an even teenager diagnosis. It's in the large airways. Um, you still get... Uh, secretion production in the airways and those kinds of things, but bronchiolitis is in the small airways. So whenever we talk about airways, we obviously start at the nose and the mouth because that's kind of the start of our airways. And then we go to the windpipe or the trachea. And then the trachea um, branches to go to the right lung and to the left lung. And then um, those um, branch off and provide to the different lobes of the lungs. And then each one of those airways keeps branching and branching and branching until you get down to the small airways called the bronchioles. So the bronchioles are what go to the airway sacs or the alveoli. And so bronchiolitis is just an infection in the really tiny airways in kids producing a lot of mucus, inflammation, um, and then they end up getting all of these. We, we say they sound like a washing machine. So when you listen to them with a stethoscope, you hear all that, <laughs> and if you listen five minutes later, it's going to have a different sound to it. And so um, they just cough and clear, and it moves to a different spot, but they all kind of have this washing machine kind of sound to them. The other main part of the diagnosis to bronchiolitis, because it's what we call a clinical diagnosis, I can't run a test and tell you your kid has bronchiolitis. I can run a test and say your kid has this virus, and that's what caused the bronchiolitis, but the bronchiolitis is a clinical diagnosis. So you have fever, runny nose, congestion, and those um, uh, breath sounds that we were talking about because of where all of the inflammation is in your lungs. Well, it seems it seems so hard as a doctor to to differentiate. If your kid comes in, you know, now you're looking at flu and the COVID and the the RSV, and then and now having to to drill it down to bronchiolitis too. So you can't. All you can do is say you have a virus, but now we've got to go deeper, right, to see what it could be. And most of the time, it, I don't care which virus you have. Okay. Um, COVID, uh, we still treat a little bit differently. We'll give you some steroids and stuff if you're on oxygen, um, but we don't quite go as aggressive as we were going early on. Um, with influenza, I want to know if you have in influenza because there's Tamiflu and some mm -hmm. other antivirals that we can give you if you're in a certain population of a high-risk population. So if you have asthma, if you're a, a preemie with um, chronic lung disease, or if you're an infant that has uh, some kind of cardiac disease, uh, kids that have had uh, open heart surgery, especially the younger ones, we would tend to give them Tamiflu sooner than just other kids um, because trying to shorten that as much as possible or making it as less severe as possible is good. Um, RSV, I don't really have a specific treatment for it as well as any of the other viruses. So, um, you know, a lot of times we'll run a viral test just to make sure it's not flu or COVID. And then if it ends up being RSV, okay, we know what it is. But a lot of times we don't go looking for the host of other viruses that it can be because I don't I can't treat you any differently. Well, can all three of those lead to bronchiolitis then? Yeah. All three of them can. That's all three of them can give uh, young infants bronchiolitis that present and look and act exactly the same way. So I think you would recommend to parents, if they're starting to get these symptoms that you listed, 
don't wait them out. I mean, make sure you get your child in. I mean, because that, you know, if it's any of these three and what it can lead to. I mean, it kind of depends. And so if your infant is um, or young kid is just having, I I guess let's back up. Okay. So we think about bronchiolitis in kids less than two. Once you hit two and over, we start calling it a viral pneumonia or something like that. So, Which is still serious, though. Which can still be serious for sure. Okay. But they tolerate it better. Um, So for kids less than two... If they have a fever, um, if they have runny nose, congestion, cough, and they just sound a little junky, they have bronchiolitis. But if they're doing well, they're not working hard to breathe, you don't see their ribs when they're breathing, uh, they're not breathing, you know, super fast. So I always tell parents, if they're breathing uh, once every second or faster or, you know, anywhere close to that, or you see their ribs when they're breathing, you need to go get them checked out. Um, as long as they're drinking um, and staying hydrated, peeing multiple times a day, um, their their wet diapers may not be quite as wet, but as long as they're having wet diapers yeah. and they're doing fine from that standpoint, actually taking them in could expose them and can expose other people that as long as they're doing well at home, uh, just like your grandma would keep you at home and watch right. you, there's not necessarily <laughs> anything to do for it. If they're breathing that fast, where they're breathing once every second, or you see their ribs when they're breathing, they're not drinking, they're not peeing as well, they're not peeing at least three times a day, uh, those are the times to call your pediatrician uh, to get in. Um, And then other times to go to your pediatrician would be if they have so much snot coming out of their nose or you're... You can't really get it out. You can get better education from your pediatrician on how to suction them out. Um, there's actually a lot of um, suction devices that are available over the counter now. I hesitate to say specific names on a podcast, sure. <laughs> but um, there's a, a bunch of infant suctioning devices that you can use. There's a bulb suction mm-hmm. that we all get yep. when we go when home you from be- become the a nursery. parent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then there's uh, battery operated ones, other ones that actually work really, really well. And honestly, when you get admitted to the hospital, if you're not needing oxygen, um, or IV fluids, we're just suctioning you out and watching you. So you well, can no, do a lot of that at home. This may be a, a, a weird question, talking about sucking out all of that gunk that you have. Does it, can it help in removing some of the virus that gets into you? Isn't that what your body's doing, is creating that to kind of, to expel it? You're, so your body's producing that as a um, response to the inflammation and to the virus. Oh, I it doesn't see. really okay. remove the virus, w- right? At all, the virus just has to run its course and, and once it's go. in you, it's in you. That's that's the thing, right? You've just got to manage it that way. Um, obviously, there when we hit this time of year, uh, and and like you had mentioned last year, kind of the first time that we were without the masks and everything, that it gets to be pretty challenging uh, for a lot of uh, doctors and healthcare providers when their kids get sick like this, right? Uh, can you talk a little bit about managing cases of that and other respiratory illnesses like concurrently when this is going on? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is just like with every other industry, um, the medical industry is, you know, hit hard from the workforce. And so um, there's a nursing shortage, there's a respiratory therapist shortage nationwide. And I think we are better staffed than a lot of other mm-hmm. places that oh, I've sure. been or know of. And so we don't have quite as much of a uh, staff shortage as others, but 
we also obviously just have a certain number of beds. And so mm-hmm. once we reach that number of beds, trying to figure out how we can still take care of other kids. And so that was really what happened last year was between oh, sure. a staffing shortage and um, being able to safely staff a certain number of beds just across the country. Um, um, some kids were having to leave their town, even kids in Denver weren't being able to be admitted to the big children's hospitals in Denver and were having to go out to other areas that actually had bed availability. And so um, that's one of the challenges. Um, the I think the other big thing, though, is we've learned and just been reiterated, we need to obviously staff up as much as possible. But we've really learned over the last few years that um, we have had these uh, new devices come out over the last five to 10 years um, that uh, we call a heated high flow nasal cannula. And so it, we can provide oxygen at a higher flow and we don't have to intubate or put in a breathing tube to these kids nearly as much as we used to. But we were weaning it really slowly, taking a long time to get off of it and those kinds of things. And uh, we've really realized over the last year or so that we can just peel that off as fast as we put it on. And most of the kids do well with it. Mm -hmm. And we can shorten the amount of time they need to be in the hospital and kind of get them out faster and get them back home faster. So as parents uh, that have these small children that are susceptible to this, then, I mean, the first line of defense is prevention, right. obviously. So what, uh, you know, what, what, what do you recommend to parents? Because like you said, you don't take them in for every sniffle because that could expose them to kids that are there that sick. And then you're going to take it home with you anyway. But what do you what do you do? How do you how do you even begin to kind of help yourself out uh, with this, you know, the, the triple threat that's coming up? So it turns out hand washing is really good. Um, But getting kids to wash their hands. Oh, my God. That can be tricky. Right. Exactly. So hand washing is really good. Um, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with a hand sanitizer because I think while it's good, it also kills all of the germs. And so if your kids don't get exposed to germs, then we run into these things as well where – uh, when they finally do get exposed to it, they're sicker than they could have been. Yeah, their body just has no idea. Yeah. Right. So just good basic hand washing is good, especially with uh, caregivers. The holidays are coming up. And so just making sure that there's no one um, that's really sick that um, that's there that you're letting handle, especially your really young infants. Um, social distancing, while I think we just feel like it was a term that was just created, it's really kind of been a thing we should be doing for a long time. (laughs) You know what I like, though? I have seen in various places just kind of around town, saw it just at at the food trucks down here recently. I drove by and I noticed, oh, my God, all these people are about six feet apart. And they're doing it unintentionally, I think, at this point, which... I think it's going to work out for us, maybe. Yes, I definitely think it'll help. I'm from the South, and so I love my personal space. Yes, exactly. When I lived in New York City and was on the subway, I had to get used to uh, no personal space. So last year, or the last few years, I was like, yes, six feet of personal space. It's kind of gone away. That that bubble's nice, yeah. That's right, big bubble. Um, Um, Making sure that if you are letting anyone hold your kid, that uh, they've washed their hand, use hand sanitizer, whatever. Um, and and just you know being wise about where you take your kids. Yeah. Uh, do you need to go there? Do you not need to go there? Does all of your kids need to go? We have five kids at home, and so it's like, do we need to take 
everyone to this or just uh, like what what do we need to do as a family to try to yeah. keep kids as, as healthy as possible? Well, I know some parents will even say, but, you know, you want to throw your kids out there, like you said, to get sick, to get the germs, to get, you know, to get your body used to it. And I suppose, is there is there any merit to that at all? Absolutely. Okay. So um, it turns out that uh, kids that go to daycare before they start kindergarten, typically get all of their viruses exposed and they are sick at least the first year that they're mm-hmm. in daycare. The family is always like, oh my gosh, my kid is always sick. They are. They just keep <laughs> getting virus after virus after virus. But when they go to kindergarten that first year, they're going to be exposed to most of the viruses. And so they actually won't miss nearly as much school as those other kids that weren't exposed. Right. And didn't get uh, the viruses prior to kindergarten. And then now that they're in public school and around all of the other Petri dishes that I call them, (laughs) now they get sick all the time and they're missing kindergarten that first year. So there is a benefit to getting your kids exposed, but especially your kids that are less than a month old, that if they get a fever, it's super scary and you have to worry about all other bad things happening. Um, Just being thoughtful of the age of your kid, how susceptible they are, um, the importance of the event, and all of those kinds of things. So So, so when do you kind of grow out of that? I think you you might have touched on this too, that that bronchiolitis stage. When when does that kind of transition into, well, now you're just going to get bronchitis maybe? Uh, So um, the first six months, you're kind of at a higher risk of being really sick, and especially the first uh, three months for sure. Um, bronchiolitis is a, is a diagnosis up till two. And so once you cross over two years old, um, then we think about viral pneumonias and stuff. And then you're kind of older school age children, um, to adolescents, preteens, they can start getting that bronchitis. Okay. Uh, well, there was one more question on here, uh, that, uh, that talked about kind of in your experience, um, you know, what are some of the key lessons or maybe best practices that, that, that healthcare professionals have learned in managing this case during the, the, this triple pandemic? Um, and how, you know, how do these insights benefit uh, the healthcare providers and, and the rest of us? I think, again, just um, making sure that we continue to staff up for it and kind of be aware of what viruses are um, out that, that time of year and everything. And then uh, keep going back to, are we do we still need to do what we've been doing? So again, with that heated high flow, mm-hmm. nasal cannula thing of, you know, always asking the question, can we wean something faster? Do we actually need this? Is it providing benefit or is it just making the patient look better? Um, and can we peel it uh, off faster or go slower? What What do we need to do from a, a, a medical care provider to try to keep the kids as safe as possible, yeah. get them well enough to go home as soon as possible so that you, so that the family can be reunited at home and, and get back together at home. Cause everyone wants to go to the hospital to get better, but that's not really what happens, right? You right. don't get the rest and everything that you need, even with kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, keeping uh, people at home and, and giving them that time to rest and, and recover and, and be with their family um, and get all of those extra snuggles and all yeah. that kind of stuff is, is really what's needed. So, are we are we ever going to beat the virus, Doctor? Is it always going to be one step ahead of us, or will we ever will we ever finally? I don't know. I, I mean, I, that's a hard question to answer, really. But you know, we, we've heard about it our whole lives about viruses and bacteria, and it's like, well, why can't we just end it at this point? But I suppose it plays a role. 
right? In some degree, maybe. I don't know. I don't think we're ever <laughs> going to get past yeah. them. There's a new monoclonal antibody that's out uh, that just got approved this summer for kids against RSV. But if um, you should talk to your pediatrician mm-hmm. or your primary care provider to see if it's something that, that they agree with and it's something that they want you to get. But when it's not RSV, it's going to be adenovirus and it's going to be rhinovirus and another virus will just come up and and take over more than than (laughs) others. I suppose as long as we're just in these meat bodies, that's what's going to happen, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Dr. Kyle Lemley, uh, pediatric critical care specialist and pediatrician at Monument Health Rapid City. Thank you again for coming in and talking with us. I appreciate it. You can come back anytime. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Haddon, engineered by Chris Jaquist, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.